Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. I have been misunderstood at various junctures in my life. And it's not fun to be misunderstood. If you've ever been misunderstood through text message, let me hear you say amen. Nothing worse than texting someone something and then they, you discover they've gotten it all wrong. They got your mood wrong. They've got the tone wrong. And I received texts uh, from my spouse, something like this. Be home soon. Get dinner. The first thing I thought is, why is she telling me what to do? Why am I getting dinner? I thought we agreed you was getting the dinner. And I'm responding back like, really? And so she said, no, uh, I'll be home soon and get your dinner. You see, you can emphasize it in the correct way and it feels like a promise. It feels like uh, something good for you. But if you hear it incorrectly, it actually brings you stress. And it brings you worry. What I find, the motivation behind today's message is, I think that sometimes we hear the problems over the promise. And there's a promise that God the Father made long ago that he would come and rescue us. And this is a Christmas story. Um, But at times, we misunderstand. What do I mean we misunderstand? What I mean by that is, as we approach this Advent season, I know this by my spirit, I know this through experience, and I know this through statistics, that the rate of depression goes up, but it's the season to be joyful. The rate of anxiety goes up. Fear goes up. There's just anxiousness, and instead of anticipating greater and greater moments through the season, we anticipate or we hope for the season to be over. Those of us who are, those who are single and, a, and alone, it's only a reminder that you might be spending the holiday um, without someone. Some of us, like me, you lose a loved one close to the holiday season and it changes what you feel about it. Yet, that's a problem But could there be a promise that can make all of those problems seem to dissipate and go easy? Have you ever been in church and had to be next to the person who turned the the personal individual praise moment they were having into something more corporate? Like it spread it out, their praise spread out into your area? Have you ever been around some of those people? It's tough when you look at someone articulating themselves in an exuberant way and you yourself don't feel what they feel. You actually want to say, can you please turn it down? 
Just a little bit. Just keep your arm. You know, we, the seats are already close. So when you do that, when you raise your hand, raise kind of like here. Like a touchdown. Just think touchdown. Touchdown praise. Touchdown praise. Touchdown praise. <laughs> you can be happy for someone, but they still can, if we tell the truth, you can have people in church get on your nerve. And you can make this statement out of your, in your head. You won't say it out your mouth. But you mean, it just don't take all that. It don't take all that. Get some dignity to yourself. Come back to the planet. Even though to give away the punchline, like, I, I know, like, Pastor Kevin York is in the room, and I just know after God gave him, spared his life, and gave him that, extra charge with his heart. I'm not going to be surprised if I see Kevin running through the church one day, just running laps because God, after open heart surgery, has that man standing here healthy. He might run a lap today. Y'all don't know that. You don't know what that man is going to do. <laughs> He's not going to run a lap. <laughs> Renee says she'll run it for you. <laughs> but it's funny that you can have two people in the same worship service, having two different expressions. One person's expression in the same environment, hearing the same message, brings a heaviness to them. And yet the other person is getting a, a revelation of joy. I've been in those services because most of my, my life, you know, I grew up in, in that Catholic, Lutheran type environment, you know, like, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, over all of it you'll keep, in my name, lead them. Because the musicality, that, this staying right there was the thing. And now, you know, just kind of like anything goes, those environments just really bothered me. But I tell you, what if I told you that with the proper view of Jesus, and what he's done for you, it might alter your perspective about your worship. I actually pray today that I might alter your worship experience. I pray that the revelation might be that true. It might be that clear. Let's read together Nehemiah, which seems to be a departure from the Christmas story, but it is not. This text is designed to help you understand that our promise-making, promise-keeping God uses his original promise all throughout Scripture to give you a reason to live, to worship, and to celebrate. Let's read together. Ready? Together now. I'm watching you, John Luke. Ready? Read.
Now, in order to appreciate today's message, you've got to appreciate the character Nehemiah. His name means comfort. So no matter where you're at today, God's intention is to bring you comfort through understanding something about Nehemiah's life and his reconnection with the promise. Nehemiah enters the stage with getting a report from a family member that the people who were the remnant in, 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 in Jerusalem living with the, after the exile with the walls still broken down in a bad condition were really having a hard time in life. And that hard time was, that news was so difficult to him that he began to weep and to cry and to fast and to pray. I want to ask you the question, when you see the circumstances in your city, your neighborhood, or on the news, or the calamity in different people's lives, what does it prompt you to do? Does it prompt you to become um, bitter, angry, or to, to speak maliciously or viciously? Or does it prompt you, like Nehemiah, who was designed to comfort, to actually go into a place of worship? Go into a place of prayer. Go into a place of fasting. Now, there's about four things that happen that is a pattern for our worship when Nehemiah went into the Lord. The first thing uh, that we, we can see is that he began to praise God. He began to tell God that he was great, he was wonderful, he was magnificent, and therefore, whatever problem, number two, that he was about to bring up wasn't God's fault. I, I know that when you and I think about the problems in our life, we think about who we can point the finger at that has allowed the problem or caused the problem. God is the one who allowed it, and somebody else in your life may have caused it in your mind. So we usually come to God with more of an indictment than a praise. We come to let him know, <laughs> you know how you are. So, hey, I'm still here but you're still you and I don't have power. We have, a, we have a problem with him. But Nehemiah did not point the finger at God. He did something very unique. He said the reason, he re rehearsed the reason. He said the reason that Israel spent 70 years in captivity and the wall is torn down and, and they're in a calamitous situation is because of our corporate sin. The reason... I, he didn't say I want to go further. He said, really, it's my family's sin. Then he goes even deeper. And this is a hard part for us. He says, because I have sinned greatly. Now, we don't think about Nehemiah and anything we read about him as someone who has greatly sinned, but his own statement about his life is that he had greatly sinned against the Lord. You know, if you're going to come to the Lord in worship, you must humble yourself. You must acknowledge that you have a problem. You see, the reason that we can't appreciate the baby in the major or God being made flesh or we can't appreciate Genesis 3.15, which says that he is going to crush the head of the enemy and he's, you're going to bruise his heel, which is speaking about God becoming man in Christ. The reason that we can't appreciate the promise is because we meditate the problem. This is the reason what, 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 what causes you to look at the Christmas or the Advent season, the baby in the manger, all of the reminders that Jesus is alive and well and providing you with salvation, deliverance, eternal life, and all the things that you need to pertain to life and godliness. Even though this is good news and even though you got all of these gifts, we somehow have landed in a place of misery and that's because we worship 
focused on the problem. But Nehemiah is showing us that's not the proper type of worship. But then Nehemiah in chapter one begins to speak about the promise. He said, Lord, even though I know that we're the problem and we have sinned, you said that when we sin, we go to captivity. You also said that you would come and rescue us and restore us if we came back to you. You see, that's the promise. And Nehemiah said, I know, Lord, that you will grant me. He began to worship. I know you're going to grant me my petition when I go before the king. He goes before the king. He's a cupbearer. I want you to, I want to pause there because I don't want to go past the fact that he's a cupbearer because I think there's some regularness to his life. I think there's some humility to his life. And I can imagine the position he's in. He's getting ready to go before the king. He's the royal taster. And the Bible says that his countenance was down and the king asked him what was wrong. I want you to understand that when his countenance was down before the king, he did that as an act of faith. What do I mean? That he knew that God had granted his petition, that he asked that he could go and do something to help Israel. And that if he looked sad in front of the king, the king was going to ask him what was going on. That was an act of faith. See, it's not just worship. It's not just you giving in to God. God gives you something out of worship. He gives you clues. He gives you breakthrough. He gives you a word. And the, and the king said to Nehemiah, not only am I going to send you back to Israel, to, I'm going to send you with money, I'm going to send you with men, and I'm going to send you with a new title as governor because I'm a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Now, now here enters, now that I contextualize this, our first point. The, the Bible says that now, 70 years later after being exiled, with the wall up for the first time, the enemy seemingly defeated, the city is not fully occupied, things still look out of order, but they're going to assemble on the feast, on the day, on the seventh month, the 15th day which is called the Feast of Trumpets, it's a holy day to the Lord, they're going to get together. And what you did on this day is very important. You t- from morning to evening, you read the Word of God, just like we did. Six hours straight, you just read it over and over again. You read from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You read the whole thing. And... What would happen is Ezra was not only a scribe, the Bible said calls him a helper, he was the reader, and the Levites, I just want you to get this picture, the Levites are the anointed people, the servants of the God, who are not priests, but they're not the people. Their assignment was to be in the audience helping them to understand what was being read. My first point is very clear. Worship done, gone wrong equals grief. They had the perfect worship set up. It should be the time when, uh, according to the Jewish calendar, that they should be celebrating. It should be the time that they're reminded of how good God is. But instead of being reminded how good God is, they look at their circumstances, they look at the situation, they can't see how much God has done to restore them. They can only see that their circumstances and situations are still not perfect. And because they're not perfect, instead of rejoicing when the word of God is read, they had sorrow and they had grief. And they were down. 
And the Bible says they wept because they heard the word of God. Because they looked at their life and they realized that their past sins of their fathers, the past sins of generations, and their current sins have left them in a bad situation and they couldn't see themselves out of that problem. It's because they had no view of the promise. Now, the promise had to be spoken because when reading the Torah, they had to go past Genesis 3.15. They had to go past Genesis 12. They had to go past all these places where God has amplified the promise that he was going to come and solve our problem. But this is the thing. Something about misery, we just like to stay miserable. Have you ever gotten in a, in a, in a complaining rant? Yeah, I, was, I don't even know. I'm just tired. And look, and look at what that happened. Yep, and they ain't paid the bill on time. The, the, the people that, look, they just threw the mail in the mailbox all crooked. Uh, you know, you just, you just start complaining about stupid stuff. It just gets silly. They're going to lay, why they set the boxes out there? They should have brought them all the way up here. I don't understand. You just get all, so matter, sometimes you can be in that mood well, no matter how many good things someone is saying to you, you're stuck on the bad things. The Bible says, this, this, this is what it looks like. Deuteronomy 28, uh, uh, the 15th verse says this. He says, if thou shalt not hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do all that is written, all of these curses shall come upon you. Cursed in the city, cursed in the field, uh, cursed when you come in, cursed when you go out, curses shall overtake you. He says, when you go out one way, you, you, your, your enemy come against you one way, you'll flee from him seven ways. That's a bad situation. And we meditate on all of the bad problems. And the problem somehow is not there. Now, I wanted to say this before I move on, that there are reasons to have grief. I think it's important to note. There are, there, are, there, are, there are times to be in grief. My father passed uh, a few years back in January. It was grief. The first father figure in my life that had ever passed away, you know, I was, I was so full of grief. This is bad. Now, it's, it's, I'm going to turn something terrible I did to funny. So you feel to laugh. If you want to laugh, it's okay. But it's a, it's a bad situation what I did. So... I get to my first adult funeral is this guy, Mr. Peterson. He, we were over his house all the time. He was the male figure in our life. He had died. And I got there, and they were having a home-going service. That means he was a believer. He knew the Lord, and they were celebrating. But by the time I got into the meeting, I told him meeting up. Because I didn't got in the casket. Not all the way in, but just enough in where it's awkward. <laughs> yeah, that was too far. Justin was too far. He redeemed me, Justin. I don't have to feel contempt for that <laughs> foolish behavior. I just kind of got halfway. Spencer, don't be laughing at me, Spence. I got it all in there. And, and you know, and they let me go for a while, wailing and and, and then, you know, it's bad when it takes the ushers to come get you, but I'm big. So it had to be like four or five ushers pulling me off the thing because grief has overtaken me. And then when I get, I saw Miss Peterson, I fell all in her life. I, I just, just holding her. <laughs> she ain't even crying as hard as me. It's her husband died. 
And I remember, this, this is me transitioning to my second point. Because worship turn right equals joy. I remember her grabbing my face. Ms. Peterson grabbed my face. Come here, baby, let me grab your face. I want to. It's fun. She said, I'm just, you me, okay. She, she said, baby, baby, baby. He knew the Lord. The Lord got him. You need to stop crying so bad. <laughs> Look at me, baby. I'm all right. You need to be all right. Trust in God. Give, won't you give me a kiss, though? No, she didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. I like this message. <laughs> Somebody had to turn me the right direction. How did he say, so worship done wrong equals grief, but worship turned right equals joy. He, he, how was he turning? He was using people. Remember, uh, the first thing in the 10th verse, he says, and he said to them, this is Nehemiah speaking, go, I mean, Ezra speaking, go your way. You got to have somebody that will enter your life and pick you up out of a challenging situation. This is why we come to worship services, not just to hear the word. If you were just in a worship service and all you did is just hear the word by yourself, I'm going to tell you that's not enough. You need the fellowship of the other believers to contextualize that which you heard because if you don't have that, you're going to go down in worship instead of up. It takes an environment where people can explain why they're happy, explain the promise over the problem so you can be up. So with some Levites who got together and they, and they, and they began to go through the crowd and and begin to lift people up and to pull people up. And it's, come, come here, Justin, I'm going to show you what it looked like. It's fast. Get on, get on down here. See, when the word come, the word brings conviction. The word brings heaviness. The word of God is sharp and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even to the piercing, the sun, to the soul, and the spirit, and the joint, and the marrow, and it, but it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. The word can tell you you're wrong. The word can tell you all that. And if you leave the word only at this portion of its job, you're going to feel busted, disgusted, and broken, and without hope. It, the, the word tells you you're a sinner. The word tells you you're unjust. The word tells you you're unrighteous. There's none righteous, no, not even one. And all of that weighs you down until you've got clarity that there's a promise. There's a promised Savior. There's a promise for redemption. There's a promise for breakthrough. There's a promise that ends your separation. And the Levites would have to come and get, come on, y'all, now, would you get up? This day is a holy day to the Lord. It's a Sabbath. You're not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for the Lord. He's allowing you to come into his rest. And he wants you on this day to have joy, to have peace, to go your way. And here's what it says. He wants you to to eat, hallelujah. Y'all need to celebrate right there. He wants you to eat, eat, hallelujah. Eat the fat, hallelujah. Don't get on no fat diet. No, he wants the fat. Okay, okay. And he said, and he said, drink sweet wine. Somebody said, sweet wine. Oh, Jesus. Sweet wine, sweet wine, sweet wine, sweet wine. Now, before you just think I'll let you get free on the wine. 
holy sweet wine. Somebody said, what's the difference? I don't know. But just be holy. Don't read that scripture and just drop, drop, go off. Baby, we're going to go get free tonight. Mm-mm. Get bound back up. No. <laughs> he said, go your way, eat, drink sweet wine. I want you to understand something. There's a time for fasting like Nehemiah did. But he's telling them there's a time for feasting. Thank you, Jess. And you need someone else that's in the fellowship to tell you to get up from that place of grief. You know, I, 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 was, I was committed, Pastor Bruce, one time to, to uh, being sad. Have you ever committed to being sad? Come, come on, I want to see your hands. Don't, don't, don't. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I know I'm in the right church. I was just sad, complaining about everything, miserable, and I was saying, I'm going to say what our prayer sound like. How about that? It's not just me. I'm going to say what our prayer sound like. I was saying stuff like, well, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to read the Bible. And I'm going to live right. Because those are all your requirements that I thought I fulfilled and qualified me to get a better life than you giving me. But it's okay. It's okay. I can't do nothing. You're stronger than me. And I fear you. I would say something like this. And I fear you. But there ain't no scripture in the Bible say I got to be happy about it. So, do what you want, Lord. You the boss. But I don't have to be happy. And the Lord had somebody call me with a word from God. They said, James. I said, yeah, I think this is from the Lord. I said, well, I want everything from the Lord. What you got? They said, go to Deuteronomy 28, 47. If y'all had that, put it on the screen. Everybody just read this out loud. This is what the, he said, this is a word, word for you. Read. Jesus, I was just playing. You know, I didn't mean none of that. I was just playing, Lord. I'm happy. I'm so happy. 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 The joy, see, see, when you turn it, you're going to need help. And somebody's going to help you go from the problem to the promise. They're going to help you get to the points in the Word when he says, shout to the Lord with the shout of joy. Shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. He's going to help you understand that joy, joy is a, uh, a calm delight. Joy is a stronghold or a place of refuge or a place of safety. The Bible says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials of any kind, knowing that the trial of your faith, it works patience. So let patience have its perfect work. You know, the Bible says, if you need joy, leap for it. You know, I, I used to hear that scripture and I said, I don't want to leap. I'm just doing that. What's that, Michael Jackson move? That's all I would do. That's about all I would do. But he said, if you need joy, you leap for it. <laughs> Michael, Michael, why are you laughing at me, man? I see you back there laughing in church. He said, if you need joy, leap for it. 
If you need joy, you leap for it. So you, you got to do something a little bit different than before. You got to leap for it. It might not feel right, but after time you say, this is kind of silly, but whatever. And then you just go with it. The Bible say laughter make good like a medicine and it is health and healings even to your bones down in the place. So when you spend your time in misery, when you spend your time just being willfully upset, you're holding back the health that could come to your body. You need joy. You need the joy. The Bible says, oh, here, here's one. You got to see, you got to learn how to, the Bible says sing to him with joy. Clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. We love him. Oh, we love him. Oh, we lift him up. Do the hand most. We lift him up. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. We love him. Oh, we love him. Oh, we lift him up. We lift him up. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. You know, you know what just happened? You just got happy, like, where else is going to go? See, that's the type of joy you need. See, when I have to sing that song, when I had to leap for joy, when I've got to shout for joy, when I need somebody to call me on the phone and tell me why I have to have joy, it was pain in my life. There are problems in my life. Nehemiah's life was not full of solutions when he began to praise God. The children of Israel are still in a broken down place as they begin to praise God. But God called the day holy. God called it a convocation. God said, don't do no work. God said, I want you to rest in me, relax in me, and trust that I've got it. I've got a promise. Don't you understand? We can't solve our own problems. You can't solve your sin problem. There's not enough self-help. Self-discipline. There's not enough tempering of your, your activities. Without Jesus coming in flesh, living a sin, sinless life, laying down his life to redeem us, we have no hope. We are miserable in this world. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The Bible actually says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. What does it mean? That means Jesus himself used the tool of joy to endure the pain of the cross. You used, who was his joy? I was. You was. You were. You were his joy. So what do you do? You fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You start saying, you know what? I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Jesus Christ. He laid down his life to redeem me from a pit and from trouble. You know you're not like the angels. You know what the demonic voice does? The demonic voice only knows how to echo its reality. It keeps telling you only what it knows. There is no hope. There is no peace. There is no rest. 
There is no reason. When you hear these words, they are demonic. And, and the reason you know they are because demons don't have hope. They don't have peace. They don't have rest. They can't have joy. But you are not in their circumstances. God tells you, he's, here you go, he's not going to move your problems. He's going to prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He's going to speak in the midst of the storm. He's going to speak to the mountain he's, and tell it to move. But what he's not going to do is have you run away. He's not going to have your problems dissipate. He's going to stand with you and say, I'm the promise-making, promise-keeping God who can do everything I said I would do. I can deliver you from every calamity, every struggle, and all grief and all depression, and I'm here to do it now. I want to end with this point in the message. I actually love this point. I probably have given this point the, the least amount of thought, but it's got, it has in me the highest amount of joy. Scripture says in the 11th verse that he says, so the Levites calmed all the people down saying, be quiet for the day is holy. Do not grieve. Can you imagine me at the funeral having to be held by Miss Peterson and told, be quiet now, calm down. You don't have the right perspective in this service about your life. You focused on the problem. You focus on loss and you're not focused on your gain. Church, I'm here because it's possible that you focus on the losses instead of the wins. You're focusing on the loss instead of the win. Take a deep breath right now. As long as you have that, you are winning. You're winning. You're winning. Now watch this. So, 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 so here it is. I'm going to tell you the point. And I'm gonna, I, I said, no, I'll tell you the point first. Worship lived out is like Christmas every day. When you live out this life, worship done wrong is grief. Worship done right, it equals joy. Worship lived out is like Christmas every day. And the Bible says, so the Levites... So the Levites, in verse 12, let's end with this. And all of the people went their way to eat and to drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. It's not enough to sit in the church service and hear the information. It's not enough to have some encouragers it's not enough for God to intend for you to have a Sabbath or to have a reprieve from the trouble that you're going through. And, and, and the other thing is, you, you got to walk away and do it. I'm giving you your homework assignment. What is, what is your answer against the onslaught of the enemy to bring you down during this season instead of up? to have you anticipating embracing yourself for family conflict instead of family breakthrough, to have you thinking about the stresses of fulfilling uh, a secular viewpoint of Christmas versus God's viewpoint of Christmas. God is coming to give you Christmas every day. And, and the thing he says is, he said, 
when you get this, he said, you, they, they made booze and they hung out for like eight days in these booze, eating, drinking, hanging out and feasting. And here's who they brought. They brought their sons. They brought their daughters. Um, I was about to say they brought their wives, but they brought their wife. They brought, they brought their wife. And guess what they would do? They, they would then find the foreigner, the outsider, and anyone in need around them, and they would cut some of their portion and they would send it to them. You think about the gift giving at Christmas. I think it's biblical. When God wanted to celebrate, he gave gifts. But when we have Christ, when we have the promise instead of the problem, we demonstrate it by how we give. In fact, in Luke, it says, when you give a feast, don't invite those who are you in, that, that anticipate getting an invitation. Go get those who don't anticipate getting any invitation. In this room right now, what if I told you half of the room or more is bracing themselves for a season of isolation, loneliness, and misery? Would you do something about it? You are the Levites. You're anointed to go through the crowd and get people up to go the right way. What is living like Christmas every day? It's a life where you and I put the promise on every problem that comes up. We receive the gift that we can give every day. People say, why are you happy? Christ did it. What you, you're going through this. Yes, but Christ. But Christ. He is trying to, to what's the scripture say? He's trying to give you beauty for ashes. Uh, he, for, uh, for mourning, he's trying to give you the garments of gladness. This is what he's trying to do. As I end and transition to pray for you, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit said to me. James, I'm not going to allow my people to go through a season of depression, anxiety, and stress. So I want to breathe on them, and I want to bless them. And in a moment, I'm going to have you stand. You can stand to your feet now. Here's my prayer. I, I believe... In this room, there are those of us who just need a breakthrough. You need to know that Jesus sees you, cares about you, and you need another human to stand with you. I don't want to go through this season with you being in isolation or living in isolation. And I'll do that, Holy Ghost. All right. I'm not going to do an altar call. But I'm going to do, I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. But you just have to charge it to the Lord. I'm going to end this service with having you pray for one another. And you may not know how to pray. You may not know what to say. It's okay. I'm just going to have you turn and get two, like two, could be two people, could be no more than four. And we're going to take one minute and just pray. We're going to assume that everybody has the problem. So we're just praying against heaviness of any kind. We're going to, we're going to pray the joy of the Lord over them. If you don't know what to say, just say amen because I'll pray on the mic. I'm going to pray on the mic while, you, while, while you're turn praying too. But just say amen and join in my prayer. Just turn right now. Get your little partner. You don't have to hold hands. If you don't know them, you don't have to make it weird. But it's a prayer meeting. It's a prayer meeting. That's what we do. You should begin to pray for them. Just begin to pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. 
I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you.